John, thank you so much for that prayer this morning, and I do pray with John that this worship service and the teaching and preaching of God's Word will bring you great strength, great hope, great encouragement this day. I pray that God, through his Holy Spirit, will bless you because you have chosen to gather with God's people this morning. If you have a Bible this morning, I would like you to turn to the New Testament book of Titus. We're going to look at Titus chapter 1 and verses 1 through 4 this morning. If you don't have a Bible and you're here this morning, there should be Bibles in the chair, underneath the chairs in front of you. Uh, if you're here this morning and you don't own a Bible, you are welcome to keep that Bible uh, and take it home with you as our gift to you. If you're watching by live stream this morning, um, you should be able to follow along with the verses that are put up on the screen if you don't own a Bible or have one with you. Well, this morning we are beginning a brand new sermon series. We are beginning a series in the New Testament book of Titus. In the fall of last year, I ended a year and a half of preaching through the Gospel of John. Then we went into Thanksgiving and Christmas. Then I preached through the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. Then in March, we had our month-long missions conference, and then we had Easter. And so now we start a new sermon series. And just to give you a little bit of a look ahead in the months to come, after I am through with this series in Titus, I am going to do a series on the attributes of God. So that will be the series after this. And then after that series on the attributes of God, I am going to do a sermon series in the book of Hebrews. We will be working our way through the entire book of Hebrews. So that's just looking ahead if some of you wonder where we are going. But this morning we start in Titus. And let me read these first four introductory verses for you. It says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. And at the proper time, manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Well, our first point this morning is the background. The Apostle Paul writes this New Testament letter excuse me, to Titus, my true child in a common faith. And so we're going to start with the very first part of verse 4 and then go back to verse 1. That's exactly what Paul says to Titus, my true child in a common faith. The Apostle Paul, most likely, though we don't know this for sure, is the person who led this man named Titus to Christ. And he calls him my true child in a common faith. Now, the term common faith here can be understood in two different ways. It can be understood as the Christian faith as a whole. 
You're my brother. You're my true child in the Christian faith. And that is a possibility. But most likely, common faith here refers not to the whole of the Christian faith, but rather to the specific proclamation of the gospel faith that Titus had come to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, that he had repented of his sin, placed his full faith and trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord, and that Paul either led him to Christ or was instrumental in his life and is now writing this letter to him because he has left Titus on the island of Crete to oversee the church or churches there. Just jumping ahead, we'll look at this more next week, but in verse 5 it says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So, Titus has a pastoral shepherding responsibility for the people in Crete. The epistle of Titus was written in approximately A.D. 66. Titus is known as one of the pastoral epistles. The pastoral epistles are Titus, 1 Timothy, and 2 Timothy. The epistle, the letter, was written by the Apostle Paul to encourage his brother in the faith. Titus, you are my brother in the faith. I trust you with the deep truths of Scripture, and that's why I've left you in Crete. So he left him in Crete to lead the church that Paul had established in one of his missionary journeys. Now, this letter advises Titus regarding the qualifications for a leader in the church, and we're going to look at that specifically next week. What are the qualifications for a leader in the church. Paul also warns Titus of the reputations of those living in the island of Crete. We'll look at that in a few weeks, but in verse 12, it says, One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. So they did not have a good reputation. This was an area of the world, this was an island where the people were known for their immoral speech and behavior. And so Titus has this task before him. And in addition to these instruction, Paul, as we will see in chapter 3, also encouraged Titus to return to Nicopolis for a visit. So it appears from the whole of the letter of Titus that Paul in Nicopolis writes to Titus in Crete. So this letter comes from Nicopolis, and Paul longs for Titus to make a visit there. And we will see throughout this letter that Paul continues to disciple, to mentor Titus and those under his shepherding pastoral care. There's going to be a big emphasis in this letter, in this epistle, on godliness and good works. So keep that in mind. There's going to be a big emphasis in these three chapters on living a godly life and doing good works. Well, in verse 1, Paul gets right to the point of this letter and lays out the purpose of his writing for us. So he gets right into it. Why he's writing this letter to Titus. 
And it says in verse 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. So Paul says, I'm a servant of God. It is the term doulos. He is saying, I am a bond servant of God. My life does not belong to me. My life belongs to God. I am his slave, his glad, willing, and joyful slave. I do whatever God wants me to do. If you recall, during our missions conference, on March, Sunday, March 19th, our missionary Brad Buser, in essence, talked about this very concept, that when you give your life to Christ, know this, your life no longer belongs to you. It's his. You are to do whatever God wants you to do. You are to dive into the word of God with a great and eager willingness to do whatever God commands you to do. So he says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus. Now, as I have shared with you many times before, the term apostle, the word apostle, can be used in two different ways in the New Testament. The term apostle can refer very generally to any messenger, any messenger of the word of God, any messenger of the gospel. Or it can be used in a technical term to refer to one of the twelve with specific responsibilities given to those individuals for the sake of the gospel and the advancement of the kingdom. Here it is most likely Paul is using this term in the technical use. He is saying, I am a doulos, a servant of God. I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he was saying that to Titus because on his own, in his flesh, he had no authority, none whatsoever. Anything he said was just his opinion. But in Christ, but as a bondservant of God, as an apostle, He was bringing the very words of God. He came with great power and authority because of this particular giftedness and authority that God had given to him. And he comes for the sake of the faith of God's elect. He comes for the faith, for growth in the faith of God's elect. God's elect here. In many English translations, it's simply God's elect. In the New American Standard Version, it's God's chosen. In the New Living Translation, it's the chosen of God. And what it means is this, God's elect. It is a deep and rich term. It means those who under the sovereignty of God have been convicted by the Holy Spirit of their sins and have clearly seen their need for a Savior, and have placed all of their faith and trust for salvation in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary in his death and resurrection, they belong to God. They are the children of God. They are his. And he says to Titus, for the sake of the faith of those who belong to God and are secure in him and their knowledge of the truth. 
Oh, Titus, I want you to teach them the knowledge of the truth. This can be the truth of the gospel or it can be the truth of the whole Christian faith of all the word of God. I believe it is a reference to preaching the whole counsel of God. I want them to grow in the knowledge of the truth. And here's why. Which accords with godliness. Literally means which results in godliness. And Paul is saying for the people who belong to God, for those people, there is this inseparable relationship between a knowledge of the truth and living a godly life. And folks, I want to impress that on you this morning that you cannot separate your Christian life from the word of God because it is the word of God in its power that causes you to turn to Christ and to rely on Christ and to surrender to Christ so that you might live for him and become like him. You can't obey the will of God if you don't know what the will of God is. You can't live a godly life if you don't know who God is, if you don't know his revelation from Genesis all the way through Revelation. You can't possibly live for him unless... You are being steeped and grounded in the unsearchable riches of the word of God. For the sake of the faith of God's people. Their knowledge of the truth which will result in godliness. Jesus said it so well. So well in John seventeen seventeen. Sanctify them with the truth. Your word is truth. You can't say it any better than that. Sanctify them with the word of God. Your word is truth. Sanctify them with the truth. Your word, the word of God, is truth. I think of 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Always been intrigued by this verse. I continue to try to plumb its depths. 2 Peter 1, 3. His divine power, God's divine power, has granted to us all things, all things that pertain to life and godliness through, through the knowledge of him, Jesus, who called us to his own glory and excellence. Folks, it says, by God's divine power, we have everything, everything we need for life and godliness. We don't need anything more than the word of God Because it gives us everything we need. It teaches us of the knowledge of Christ, who is our all in all, who is everything to us, who has called us to his own glory and excellence. So Paul says to Titus, for the sake of God's people, teach them the truth. Teach them the knowledge of the truth, which results in godly living. Well, our second point this morning is the preaching of eternal life. God has called Paul to preach the free gift of salvation that is found in Christ and in him alone. In verse 2, it says, In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. So, for the sake of God's people, 
for their knowledge of the truth, which results in godly living and a godly life in the hope of eternal life. All of this is wrapped up in our salvation. I want you, Paul is saying, to have great hope in your eternal life in Christ. You have come to know him as Savior. He has saved you from your sin. He has adopted you into his family. Your entire identity is now wrapped up in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And you are guaranteed that when you pass from this earth, you will go into the presence of God and live in the very presence of Jesus. It is guaranteed, and you are to take great hope in that. It is to be your hope in the good times and in the hard times. It is to be your hope in the times of blessing and in the times of suffering. I want you to find great hope. And oh, I do. I pray that for all of us. We need to find great joy, great hope in our eternal life in Christ, which God, who can't lie, who is perfect and holy, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Did you know that the plan of salvation was crafted by the triune God before the world was ever created? God knew that when he created us, we would eventually sin and need a savior. So before the world ever began, before there was any heavens and earth, before he created the heavens and the earth, he ordained the message of salvation, the plan of salvation. Did you know that? It's, he did it before Adam and Eve were ever created. It reminds us of Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, 24, he says, Oh, Father, glorify me with the love that you had for me before the world began. Oh, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had even before the world began. Oh, our God is so wise. His wisdom and knowledge so deep. And then he says in verse 3, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. This knowledge of the truth that results in godly living, that finds its great hope in our eternal life. This eternal life was manifested at the proper time. And it was manifested through the preaching of the word of God. And Paul says, I have been entrusted with this preaching by the command of God, our Savior. Think about that. What it means is this. Our eternal life in Christ is called in the New Testament the mystery of the gospel. And by mystery, it means, and we've gone over this before, it doesn't mean it's hard to understand or that it's a puzzle. Mystery means it is something that was partially revealed, partially hidden in the past, but has now become completely revealed in the New Testament age, in the New Covenant. 
that which was partially hidden has become completely revealed. And we see from Genesis to Revelation the unfolding disclosure of God's word. And then from Genesis to Revelation, we have the completed canon of the word of God. We have everything we need for life and godliness in Christ. And so here's the thought. When Jesus Christ was born into this world, when he lived a perfect life, when he died a substitutionary death, and rose victoriously from the grave and ascended gloriously to the right hand of the majesty on high. When that happened, that was the proper time. Then, then men began to preach the gospel. And Paul says, I'm one of them. At the proper time, he manifested his word, the gospel message through the preaching of the word. I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. And that's why the preaching of the word is so important. That's how we proclaim the gospel message. Well, in the last part of verse 4, we looked at the first part, to Titus, my true child, in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. That is very similar to Paul's greetings in his other letters. He says grace and peace. Grace and peace. Grace is the unmerited favor and kindness of God shown to you primarily in the message of salvation. We have been shown. We have received the grace of God, the free gift of salvation in Christ, which has resulted in the peace of God. I have peace with God. Through Jesus Christ. It is all wrapped up in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by God, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. These two terms were so important that in the early church, it was very common for brothers and sisters in Christ to greet one another with those two terms, grace and peace to you. He says, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior, simply meaning that salvation, our faith in Christ, is all found in God the Father, God the Son, also God the Holy Spirit equally involved. But the emphasis in salvation is on the Father who sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And it's really interesting that in the New Testament, God the Father is called the Savior, God the Son is called the Savior, because they are both intricately, intimately involved in the salvation process. In fact, at the end of verse 3, it says, entrusted by the command of God, God the Father, our Savior. At the end of verse 4, it says, Christ Jesus, our Savior. So they're used interchangeably. But they are the source of our grace and resulting peace. Well, I want to come back to the thought that this knowledge of the truth which results in godly living, this great hope of ours in the eternal life that is ours in Christ, 
It has been manifested through the preaching of the word of God. And I thought this would be a good time just to remind us as a church body of something that is so important to this particular local church. And we are not the only ones by any means. There are many churches like us around the world. But the expositional preaching of the word of God is at the heart and soul of the ministry of this church. I know I've shared that with you before, but it's something that I think we need to go back to over and over again. Expositional or expository preaching simply means that we take a passage of Scripture and we dig deep into that passage. And the main point of the passage becomes the main point of the sermon. So I don't just come to a passage of Scripture and say whatever I want to say. I am compelled. I am bound. I am obligated to preach the main point of the passage. Now, I know... There are pastors who choose to kind of jump all over the word of God. And I'm not here to criticize them. I'm just saying this church historically has had a very strong belief and emphasis in expositional preaching. If you go to our statement of faith, it says we believe in a literal, grammatical, historical interpretation of the scripture, which means we take the scriptures as they are written. We must understand them as they are unfolded and unveiled to us. We can't make them say anything we want them to say. My opinion, folks, is irrelevant, unimportant. The word of God is everything. John MacArthur writes this. Expository preaching, preaching that systematically and thoroughly explains the meaning of Scripture, is the only legitimate way to preach. You kind of get where he's coming from. The preacher's responsibility is not to create messages from his own wisdom or cleverness or to manipulate or sway his listeners by means of his own persuasiveness or charisma, but to interpret, explain, and apply God's word as clearly and completely as possible. I put that quote in your bulletin for you so that you can hang on to that. Expositional preaching is preaching that systematically and thoroughly explains the meaning of Scripture to interpret, explain, and apply God's Word as clearly and completely as possible. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, he very famously said to Timothy, preach the Word. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now, as many of you know, especially those of you who have been here for a long time, my personal preference in expositional preaching is to preach through an entire book of the Bible. And that has been my strong personal preference for over 30 years now. And you may wonder why, why, Pastor Tim, because some pastors choose not to do that. And again, I'm not standing in criticism or judgment of anyone. I'm just saying this has been my strong personal preference. So why? 
why do I choose to preach through entire books of the Bible? And I'm going to give you four reasons. I'm sure there are more than four, but four top reasons why I think it's important to preach through an entire book of the Bible. Number one, number one, preaching through books of the Bible can help all of us to know how to study the Bible for ourselves. I do, I hope and pray every single Sunday that my sermons or Chad's sermons or Dan's sermons or Mike's sermons or whomever may happen to be preaching that you're learning for yourself how to study the Bible. And one of the main things we want all of you to learn is you can never take a passage of Scripture or a verse of Scripture out of context. You need to know what came before it. You need to know what comes after it. You can't just study that passage of Scripture in isolation or there's a chance you're going to misinterpret it and misapply it. You need to know how that passage of Scripture relates to the entire book and how it relates to the entire Bible. Context is everything when you're studying the Bible. You need to know that words are important, that grammar is important, that historical background and understanding of culture is important, but most importantly... You need to know that you want to accurately apply the word of God to your life so you can live for Christ as fully as those original readers did when they were written to. Second reason I prefer to preach through entire books of the Bible. Preaching through books of the Bible protects the preacher and teacher from avoiding the hard passages in the Bible. When you preach through a whole book of the Bible, you're thinking, oh boy, I know, chapter 5's coming up. And that's got a hard-to-interpret, controversial passage. And you can't just jump over it. I mean, if I just got up here every week and preached a different passage from different parts of the Bible, I'll assure you I would avoid those hard passages. But when you preach through a book of the Bible, you have to tackle them. And you know what happens? Not only do you as the teacher grow, but I think we all grow. There's usually great depths of riches, of wisdom that we need. A good example was the last book I just preached through, the book of Habakkuk. There were some hard passages there. I kind of went into that whole series with a little bit of fear and trembling. But, oh, there were some important, amazing truths that apply right to our culture and life right now from that ancient Old Testament book, any of you, this doesn't just apply to a preacher, any of you who have led a Bible study through an entire book of the Bible, you know exactly what I mean. You have to come to those hard passages and the best you can with diligent study, interpret them and apply them as best as you know how. Number three, hopefully preaching through books of the Bible will give each of us a deeper love for the Word of God. That's my prayer. As we go through entire books of the Bible, that you will fall in love with the Word of God. Now, I know there are some people out there that don't like pastors to say falling in love with the Word of God. They say we're supposed to fall in love with God, with Jesus, not with the Bible. I know what they're saying. But I believe that if you fall in love with the Bible, you will fall in love with Jesus. And if you're in love with Jesus, you will fall in love with the Bible. So I do not apologize for saying, I think, 
all of us need to fall in love with the Word of God. Recently, in my personal devotions, I was going through carefully. I just love this psalm, Psalm 119. It's the longest chapter in the Bible, as you may know. It's 176 verses long. Do you know what the psalmist says throughout the psalm? I love your law. Oh, Lord, how I love your law. It is my delight. It is my joy in the day and in the night. Your law is better to me than all the silver and gold in the world. Your law makes me wiser than my teachers. It teaches me your ways, O Lord, that I may obey them. I will say this, if we can't fall in love with the word of God, we need to remove Psalm 119 from the Bible. I'm hoping that preaching through entire books of the Bible will cause you to fall in love with the Bible and then fall in love with God and fall in love with the focal point of our salvation in life, the Lord Jesus Christ. Number four, hopefully preaching through books of the Bible will cause our worship to be richer, fuller, and totally focused on Christ and the gospel. I hope as we preach and teach through books of the Bible. Now, let me say that throughout my tenure here, every once in a while I've done something a little different. Every once in a while I will do a systematic study of a theological biblical topic. A number of years ago, I did an entire sermon series on the Holy Spirit as found in Scripture. I did an entire sermon series on what is a biblical disciple. As I mentioned, coming up, I'm going to do a series on the attributes of God. So every once in a while, I change that up. But for the most part, for the most part, I think it is best to preach through entire books. And when we do, I hope that we will see God so fully and how big and how amazing he is and that he is worthy of all of our worship and all of our praise. I pray that every single week we will be overwhelmed with the joy of our salvation. Why me? Why have I become a child of God? Why was I unable to believe in the free gift of salvation? Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus, for all that I have in Christ. That's our goal. That's our goal. Well, in just a minute, we're going to close with that song, Christ, the Sure and Steady Anchor. And I think this could be the song for the whole book of Titus. Because Christ, that's what we want. Through the word of God, we want Christ to be your anchor, no matter what you're going through right now. May the truth of the word of God, of the knowledge of Christ, be your anchor and hold you firm in whatever you may be. going through. So Paul says, oh, Titus, give them a knowledge of the truth, which leads to godly living, and it is all wrapped up in this concept, this great truth of eternal life. Preach it, Titus. Preach it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that by the knowledge of the truth, we can grow into godliness and be transformed into the image of Christ.
We are so grateful for the hope of eternal life that is found in Christ and in him alone. Help us. Oh, Lord, help us to be faithful to preach the unsearchable riches of your word. May every age level of our church, every age level of our church be immersed, be immersed in the preaching and teaching of the Bible. In Jesus' name, amen.